This is Game Theory Podcast, Episode 6, Free to Play, with Brian Fife, Jim Fingal, and Tom Westberg. So I can't believe both of you are there. You're not taking part in our inaugural Starship Artemis run this weekend. Yeah, unfortunately, we'll be in Seattle. Found something even geekier to do. <laughs> I still, like, the video was a little bit too long. I, I haven't watched it yet. I, to be honest, I haven't watched it either. I just got the gist of it and realized that was something that I needed to try. <laughs> All right. And we're engaged. <laughs> so I suppose we ought to introduce ourselves again. Oh, hi. I didn't see you there. This is Jim Fingal. <laughs> I'm Brian Fife. And I'm Tom Westberg. This is Game Theory. It's a podcast where we talk about games and, and stuff about games, right? That's true. And... Unrelated contentious matters. Today we're talking about, speaking contentious matters, free to play. I think that's the subject that we settled on. That is true, free to play. Is it the end of the universe? Is it a savvy way for game developers to feed themselves? <laughs> well, we, is it an aesthetic <laughs> abomination? <laughs> well, we, we were talking about this. One of the things that I said, I suggested we should do right from the beginning was not talk about Facebook games and even try to avoid the ones that have Smurf berries in them. <laughs> but that's mostly just to avoid raising people's blood pressure trivially because all that evokes in most of us is fury. So it's reasonable to avoid it. We could sit and talk about it, but we'd just be furiously agreeing with each other. And there's plenty of polemics out on the web that cover all this stuff. One of the things that I did want us to underscore, and, and Tom, this is in sync with that article that you were sending out about the free-to-play games on the iOS store, Yep, is the reason why people are making these games is because they're making money. And one of the reasons for that is because of these so-called whales. Did you guys look at the uh, Business Week article about this? I did, yeah. It was, yes. uh, it was upsetting. <laughs> Well, the the line that, that really jumped out at me about that, it was something about people that pay you for your game do it because they love your game, and whales give you wads of money because of who they are. It's a compulsion. It's not, you know, you're you're sort of taking advantage of, of this tendency. Even with DLC, even with these other options, there's there's a limit to how much money your most dedicated fan can give you. And that's just not true with these free-to-play games. Yeah, with cited people spending in the tens of thousands of dollars in extreme cases, it sounded a lot like the same sorts of psychological things that online gambling uh, gets into. And the any, article, any gambling. Yeah. And the, I mean, it ends with someone cheerfully talking about, oh, I played the game so much, and then quietly admitting admitting at the end, I stopped playing because I realized that I was hiding it from my friends and family. <laughs> yeah, uh, to get to the point where you don't want to tell people how much you're spending on the game and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, but, I, the interesting thing is, and the Zynga people basically admit, and here we are talking about Facebook games. But we're, we're going to okay. that. But we, we have to we have to set the context. It, it it does. They explicitly talk about how they try to look at people's psychological needs, as mentioned in this article. They essentially know they are trying to cater to obsessive compulsive people on some level. I read an interesting article a, a year or so ago about one of the slot machine companies that had a psychologist or psychiatrist on staff to help them uh, build a profile of how machines would pay out. And while slot machines uh, overall have to have a given payout rate, and that's all they are measured on by the regulatory agencies, with microprocessors, they can have short-term curves that act essentially like a fishing line taunting a fish and making it pull in a little. Just as you thought you were going to give up, it pays out a little bit, and you're sure you're going to win now. And the machine would essentially try to infer whether it had a new player or not by pauses in between pulls of the the lever and change its... (laughs) It's payout curve based on that. That sort of thing is, on some level, sounds evil. On another level, it just sounds like trying to maximize revenues. And I end up falling in the cracks between uh, cigarette companies and candy companies, I guess, here. <laughs> Along those lines, a anecdote for the things you don't expect in games that you think are are fair. There was a good Quora article on the claw games, the games where there's the the claw that you try to pick up some sort of stuffed animal or toy or, or whatnot. And that too is is actually only part of it is your skill lining things up, and then the other part is a random number generator that says whether or not the claw will be strong enough to pick anything up during that time. And and that too has some sort of distribution in it that can be programmed by the owner of the machine to say only one out of every 18 times will the claw actually be able to pick anything up. And and that just doesn't seem fair. (laughs) But the, the other, you know, I think this kind of dovetails nicely with the discussion that we had last time around, which was talking about grind and, you know, the, the thing I kept harping on, which was, the way that developers can create scarcity, they can create rarity, they can manipulate limited edition, and because there's no physical good or anything associated with it, it's all just typing. And that that makes this kind of large-scale manipulation a lot easier. I'm sort of at a loss to see how, as we try to play with people's motivations and enthusiasms, whether it's a uh, sports team at an arena trying to get everybody to do a wave and playing music or having cheerleaders or whatever to get the fans psyched, regardless of whatever is actually going on in the field, and how they'll have PR people essentially trying to package players as appealing folks and making you identify with this uh, you know huge football player or very fast basketball player or whatever that's entirely a, a manufactured thing how is that particularly different from picking the things that work 
out of aspects of, of video game mechanics and saying, let's try more of these and watching, of course, uh, to see the the farm teams in the doing independent games to see if anybody might have actually come up with something interesting. Oh my God, Minecraft! We've all got to now copy Minecraft because, like any industry, you you watch to make sure you don't get outdated when you weren't. But to me, what's equally offensive about those is <laughs> the idea games or emotions being uh, optimized or manipulated with by someone with an MBA. <laughs> Regardless of positive emotions or feelings I, I might feel during playing the game, there, there's often a disproportionate feeling of, of revulsion. When it seems like I'm caught in something that I, I recognize is like a call to action or something that went over really well in, in a PowerPoint and, and that's why it made it in the game. It, it's, yeah, it's the difference, Tom, like between games that are fun that use these elements to enhance your engagement and games that fundamentally have no underlying worthwhile mechanics. They just package it up in, in fun-like product, you know, using these elements to, to drag you along. That's where the reaction is against at least the, the Facebook-type games, is that I'm going to invoke Cow Clicker. People play Wait. the hell out of Cow Clicker. <laughs> and that is the only Facebook game that, that I've successfully installed. <laughs> But I mean, all you do is click. There's, there's. That's not fun. That's not even. Luckily, I joined after there were no cows left. So <laughs> my experience of cow, cow clicker is is pure because not only not only did I not have fun clicking on a on a cow, I didn't even get to have the pleasure of of clicking on a cow because there was there was just a void. When the guy first released the app, he wrote a big big post about it. And it was really interesting. And then Wired recently did a really nice write up of the whole thing that we'll link where the the author of the game basically admits he created something as a parody and then it sort of turned back on him and people were actually hooked on this stupid game. It sort of created an, an odd dilemma for him. Yeah, so Ian Bogost, right? That's how, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, that? I think, I don't know how you pronounce it, but yeah, that's that guy. I think that is uh, actually in, in various, if you will, sorry, Roger Ebert, art forms, um, happens a lot. You'll, you'll often see somebody who does a, an ultra-violent movie that's supposed to be a parody about it and ends up horrified watching the audience of, of young males going, yeah, kill them all, kill them all, and so forth. They're not getting the message, but I'm making a lot of money. Yeah. Well, and also, you know, once you put it in the beginning of the process and, and gets its way through the machine and some of the edges that were sharpest get polished off, irony and all that stuff. Not every game has to be yanking you along to get more money out of you. I think of PopCap as sort of a gold standard of being able to, to create things, even if they do – I've read an interview with one of their designers. They do have specific – tropes that they use they he was talking about how the as you get more and more points the sounds will go up and up, up and up in volume until you think it just can't get any higher trying to make you more and more excited about those jewels vanishing or all the little bubbles popping in peggle and things like that and it's true it's very motivating and and it's it's that is is tends to be part of the fun of those. I'm, I'm very happy PopCap is not, as far as I know, tried to get into free-to-play just a little more money if you want to do this types of things, because if they were good at it, it would be horrible. 
it's had an interesting effect on the App Store market. I'm speaking only anecdotally now, but I was reading about one developer talking about wanting to put in-app purchase elements into their game and realizing that the percentage of people that, that play these games, once they see that there's in-app purchase available, they won't buy the game because they're afraid they're going to be you know, Smurf berries. I'm referring to the the Smurf online uh, free to play game, which is the one. I think that's the most common one where the you get the uh, you know news at ten story about the family whose kids ran up a ten thousand dollar bill without their parents realizing it because they gave them their i iTunes password. Yeah, those those kinds of stories. What's the actual gameplay of of that game? I I imagine it's just the whole Farmville type trope. Mm-hmm. Let's move to games that aren't Zynga. Um, and talk about those because <laughs> that's, that's I think what we're here to do. Let's just keep talking about cow clicker. Yeah, I know. About so that all day. Talk about that all day. <laughs> um, but I, I tried to, to string together a list of games that I knew of or that I played that, that fit into this category, including Lords of Ultima, Pox Nora was a collectible card game, League of Legends, and World of Tanks are two that we've been spending some time on, Tom. Right. Uh, Tribes Ascension is another one that I've been playing. The other really big one that I don't think any of us on the call have experience with is Team Fortress 2. It's now a free-to-play game. I was surprised at that, and I'm also kind of curious, for those of us who bought it when you bought it, is there a difference in the gameplay? Yeah, what do you get? Would, yeah. would I now have to, in order to be able to, to play as well as the other people, I'll have to start buying stuff? I actually hadn't hadn't looked into it. But yeah, I understand taking something like Lord of the Rings Online or, or DD Online and saying, well, the subscription model is no longer working for us. So we're going to continue on. And, and we're essentially, you can pay a subscription monthly and you get this stuff differently. And that's kind of still built in to the plan or you can start paying for specific things i see how that works i don't understand how it works with team fortress 2 yeah talking a little about what you were just referencing when these mmos that came out after world of warcraft that were supposed to be world of warcraft killers right tom (laughs) yes once the initial buzz wore off and their subscriber bases uh wound down they ended up turning those games to free to play we played D- DDO, uh, Dungeons and Dragons Online, a little bit, right? Yeah. And it was interesting. The The way the game worked was you needed to pay to play some classes and you needed to, you could pay for experience multiplier. And I think to get to a certain level, level, like get past level 10 or something like that, you had to either grind a lot and hope for a lucky drop or pay them five bucks or something and get a token that lets you move another 10 levels. Was right. That, was that how it worked? I, I believe so, and there were other little side things you could you it, ways you could do things. And apologies to to folks at Turban, but I started in this side of the game world with World of Warcraft, and so that was my standard. And when I played DDO and even Lord of the Rings Online, although it was a little more polished, it felt clunky. Lots of lots of aspects of the visual style and so forth were not up to it, and lots of things about how you would instance in even to buildings and and such just kept putting me off to the point that while i found it an interesting game as much because in in the case of ddo it was embodying aspects of some traditional dungeons and dragons dungeon crawl mechanics and that was kind of neat to see 
put into a, a, an MMO. And Lord of the Rings, I just, you know, I was a fan of the world. And so it was neat seeing that. I, I, otherwise, I was not tempted to pay and never bought any of those tokens. It did serve, I think, what their goal was, which was to get you into the game and and trying it. Yeah. The other thing with these games, and uh, most of the games that go free-to-play are massive, the biggest advantage of these games is that it exposes a lot of players to the game that wouldn't see it otherwise. I've never played Diablo 3. I didn't buy the game. If it had been free-to-play, I, I certainly would have tried it. Well, so how does that differ from if there was a, a 30-day trial for it versus usually free-to-play connotes that you can play for free as long as you want, and there's some enhancement. Well, there is yeah. a 10-level 10, 10 trial on, on Diablo. You just didn't bother to try. I think you were afraid of it. Don't give me this I'm, I'm being prudent thing here. I think you guys are right. Social network, Facebook, Twitter, they're all, they're all free because they want as many people to join as possible. Mm-hmm. The games that I think are most successful as free-to-play games are the ones that have no single-player component at all. Some of the examples like Team Fortress 2 or, or Air Mech, the games that are sort of fundamentally play against other people, earn points in the game that turn into currency and spend a little bit of extra money to sort of short-circuit the route to, to getting that currency. You know, because of the way the economics of this work, they can give you a lot of functionality because they make a lot of money from the people that spend money. It's like, you know, you could get $50 from every player, you could get $100 from some of your players, and then you, know, you don't have to charge as much. Let's be cautious about lots of money because when people all started trying to do their World of Warcraft killers, although they would all say, oh, of course, we're really not expecting to supplant World of Warcraft, that was not what they were telling their their investors. Those folks were all looking at the billions, literally, of dollars that World of Warcraft has taken in. And essentially, like a the Harry Potter series of movies, practically, in terms of, of revenues. They want that, and there's a financial model for people investing in it. See, we seem to have discovered that Nobody else can do it. Even the Star Wars game wasn't able to do it and so forth. So we're, now we're talking about what usually was considered the fallback, the place that people would resort to when they realized nobody was going to pay them $15 a month. And, of course, it makes it look like a ghetto when you have Lord of the Rings online and DDO and Star Wars online and so forth. But let, let's be honest also. I mean, before League of Legends came out, before World of Tanks came out, most of the games that build themselves as free-to-play were pretty sketch. You know, they, they or said they, they were, were failed subscription games. Well, I mean, you know, Lords of Old you know, and Pox Noir were games that really did aggressively try to entice you into spending a lot of money. The other ones were ones that claimed to be fight a mech in exciting combat and you realize it's Final Fantasy uh, old school 2D your guy stands on the left side the other guy stands on the right side and you exchange you know punches and there's just there's not a lot of complexity in the game you know so there wasn't a lot it was a ghetto for a long time I yes but I, I would actually even argue that uh, at its strongest things like League of Legends and World of Tanks they are still graphically and in terms of game depth, they, they are like 
the opening zone of World of Warcraft. You know, maybe maybe a couple of zones worth of development time. Why don't you just come out and say it? They don't have Mac clients. Oh well, there's that, but <laughs> but even beyond that, it just the investment to try to truly challenge a, a subscription game, which Star Wars and EA tried, didn't go well for them. Well, Thirty Eight Studios tried, and and in a recent uh, interview I read, they were now saying, "Oh, we were planning on being free to play." Yeah. I, I think now now you have to say the challenge of trying to to. Uh, threaten or stand next to the subscription game because it really is only one right yeah well i mean there's also aside from the quality aspect of world of warcraft i wonder how much of the whole non-viability of uh, subscription games as is being widely reported is just this idea that that while you may may feel comfortable paying for a lot of one-off games or even doing in-game purchases there's there's a sort of limit to how many subscription games you're willing to, to pay for. <laughs> and if you're, that, I, you're already I playing one. I agree with that. Uh, but people were saying that when World of Warcraft had a subscription level of 2 million and 3 million and so forth, and now they have fallen to 9. Well, uh, I mean, just like each, each individual person. <laughs> I guess there's like the, the, side, the side point of, of enlarging the market, but I guess within the market, I couldn't imagine subscribing to three games at a time and like having that 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 sort of like monthly uh, burn on my uh, disposable income yeah you're not, you're <laughs> not going to pay for comcast tv and direct tv video at the same time why would you i agree with you and 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 one of the nice things about free-to-play games is if you aren't playing it you aren't bothering to buy the tokens that's true yeah and your and your credits rest you know they wait for you if you have money sunk into the game yeah, it's, it's like a prepaid phone, except one that doesn't have stuff expire at the end of the month. So if you don't use it, you, you can pick it up in a, you know six months from now, and if it's recharged, it's it's still a good phone. Actually, you mentioning Pux, Nora, made me think of something that I hadn't thought of at all before we just started talking, a sort of contrast to this discussion of free-to-play, which is the whole concept of collectible card games and, and how that sort of business model intersects with some of the things that, that we're talking about. Because in my mind, I'm think, thinking, oh, like games that that make you pay out every every couple of days, there's, there's something that makes me feel dirty about that. I wouldn't want to read a book that made me pay for an extra chapter and only people who pay the extra money get the extra chapter. But I played fair amount of Magic the Gathering when I was growing up in, in high school, and, and that's definitely a game in which the more money you pay, you have access to greater resources with, with building your deck. You'll have a friend who is a software developer who got back into Magic and would just buy a place that says they they came out. So it has that aspect that's similar to, to free-to-play, which is people with more resources can just buy the the best things that the big game has to offer. But then there's also the contrast where there's a skill-based aspect where it's not, not strictly you paying more money means that you have the best deck. Uh, like when the whole genre of goblin decks came out that were entirely made of, of, of commons that was a, a strategy that, that no one had really thought of and like won over the tournament scene for a while. But, so yeah, what do you think about collectible card game sort of economics and psychology versus free to play? 
Yeah, well, so and and there are free to play games that are based on that psychology. I mean, one of the I, I have to I have to quote a friend of ours, uh, Tom Irwin from Hong Kong. Did I tell you what he said to me once? Where he said, "I don't play first person shooters and I don't play Magic the Gathering." Because those are games where you, the more money you spend on your equipment, the the better advantage you have in the game. Hmm. And in, with the first shooters, yeah, because first person shooters, I, I would think those would be highly skilled based. If you're talking about somebody who's on a computer that's that's four years old and the computer is brand new, and the one guy has a 30 inch monitor and the other guy has a 17 inch monitor, there's going to be a difference in the yeah. the resources they have available to them. Now, in both of these cases, Jim, as you said. There's a skill component that can't be ignored. The, the interesting th- question that I always think about when I look at these free-to-play games is, at, so, at, at some point, do you have to pay money to be competitive? Certainly, like I'm thinking of, of the Magic Corollary, the, certainly to play Type 1, which I don't think anyone does, but you have to pay a lot of money in order to be competitive because there's still 10 cards that are worth 1000 bucks that you have to have to have any competitive competitive deck. But even in the more recent formats like Type 2, where you're playing with only the most recent expansions, so theoretically it's a more level playing field. At the same time, that's something where you continually have to be buying new cards in order to play in that scene at all. Does it make sense to talk about what some of the the revenue models are for some of these games? Well, the, the connects a little bit back to what, what we started to talk about, the you know percentage of people that, that pay and then percentage of people who pay a whole lot. <laughs> yeah, and I, I don't really have, have a line on how those numbers work out, but games like Lords of Ultima, which were kind of the first ones that came out, I didn't like that game for a lot of reasons. One of them was there was a certain point where the game kind of scaled beyond your capability to control it unless you paid money for all these convenience things. But the intention with games like Lords of Ultima and, I hesitate to speak its name, but Evany or Sivany, the game that we all know for the, the pictures of the, the ladies, the, the cheap ads on the internet that say, save my kingdom, master. Nothing at all like the game. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I'm, my Google profile doesn't feed those ads to me. So. Well, it even had, like, the Wikipedia has a pretty good note on the advertising campaign, including a few pictures, which are, like, just, like, launch models. <laughs> yes. I, and, I, and they play now, Ebony. <laughs> yeah. You know, the way that those games work, you would build a little village and be having a lot of fun, and then somebody would come and just steamroll you. Some people would just quit at that point, and other people would say, I'm going to spend a bunch of money so I can get that guy back. And then they had you. The Pox Noir game worked on a scarcity model just like uh, Magic the Gathering. You would buy packs and get random cards, which seems like a really silly concept. It seems more offensive when it's not physical, but that's the way that the new... It's not actually a physical limited source. Yeah. Again, the idea of uh, a a virtual limited resource is purely the idea. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, for, when they're directly monetarily benefiting from it, it's a little crazy that they're they're building all the rules and then they're profiting from it. But yeah, it's a living. And Mech Warrior Tactics is going to be based on a similar model where you, you know, have packs and you get parts and things like that. League of Legends works by at its most basic level because it is a complex game. You know, they have like two hundred different characters that you can play, and they only let you play five any given week. And so if you, you want to have a shot at actually getting good at a player, you need to buy one in order to have it available all the time. And that seems Which entirely I, I inoffensive to me. No, no, it's great. What they do is, is not offensive at all, and it, it lets you try out the characters. And they also do a nice thing in that they have a discounted tier of players that give you a certain amount of 
game bucks or whatever right at the beginning, and you can buy one character for free, effectively. So, say again how the pay model works. It's like Street Fighter, right? There are like 50 characters that you can play to fight. If you haven't bought any characters to put in your stable, you only get to choose from five for an entire week. And next week, Mm -hmm. they give you five different ones. Mm -hmm. Which, if you happen to be into variety, is great. Well, if you're just trying to learn, there's no better way, right? Because how would you know which which type of character you want to play and blah, blah, blah. Right, but of course the actual attraction of an RPG is advancing your character's stats. League of Legends has this whole persistent character advancement element too, which I haven't gotten into because I'm not as serious a player. But that's a part of it too. But at its most basic level, it's like, well, you pay to get characters and unlock characters and play them. World of Tanks has a pretty different model. I mean, tell me you want to talk about what you understand to be the monetization plan there, or what's good, what's bad about it? Do they miss any possible monetization model? I... I'm occasionally irritated by them, but by and large, I'm fond enough of the game that I cut them a whole lot of slack. So the first thing is it's an RPG, player versus player RPG, and you you can, over time, gain experience points to buy higher level tanks or to add things to your tanks and so forth. And that just can be just a grind. Well, if you'd like to gain experience a little faster, you can pay them $12 a month effectively to be a premium subscriber, and you get 50% more experience points for any match, which is not... Still still with you. That's okay. Yeah, feels feels fine. And by the way, we'll also say that the people who are have premium are able to join together in platoons of up to three people together in a, in a battle. And for some people, that alone could be the reason so that they could play with their friends and they'd be the head of their platoon. And that's fine. Then you can buy high-level tanks. Now, there are limitations on these and so forth, but some of them are quite expensive. And it's clear from comments in-game that these offend some players, that uh, you'll see groups of $50 tanks running around together. And if you want to define your Zynga whales... People who are willing to pay 50 bucks are clearly people to whom money is a little less important. Well, I think we have to unpack uh, this a little bit more if we want to understand the real, the real kind of essence of how sophisticated this game design is. In World of Tanks, you level up your tanks and you get higher and higher and higher. And once you get to a certain point in the progression, there are 10 levels of tanks. Once you get to a certain level of progression, the tanks stop gaining money for you every round. And become much more likely to lose money for you every round, even if you do okay. Well, yes, and just to be clear on that, they have multiple forms of currency. There is straightforward experience points that are earned on each tank, and you have to have those to upgrade, get upgrades for the tank, or to get the next level of tank. And the increase in experience points is essentially exponential from one level to another. Then you have credits, their little silver icons that you spend to buy repairs for your tank at the end of a battle or to buy ammunition for your tank at the end of a battle. You gain both of those experience points and credits at the end of a um, round. But as Brian said, for high-level tanks, ammunition can be a 1,000 credits a round. And you may not or probably will not earn that much to pay off 
the credit cost of a battle. So to play that tank again, which may be what you really want to do, you're going to have to go and play some low-level tanks a lot in order to earn experience or rather credits, just to pay for the ammunition and repairs. But wait, with these with these $50 tanks, they have a multiplier on them that lets you generate substantially more credits. Yes. Now, that's an additional thing. That the $50 tanks, besides being an easy way to just buy yourself into the kick-ass realm, rather than and take a month or two to get up to level 8, the, the disdain of some of your, your other players. So... These are interesting, and then I think while they have several other ways of monetizing, I think probably the the one that is most interesting and subtle and potentially contentious, the most contentious, is that you can buy better ammunition. You can buy by spinning instead of credits, spend gold, which can only be purchased with dollars or real-world currency, just to not be um, America-centric, you can buy gold-based ammunition, and it hits much harder, say 50% harder in terms of a lower-level tank hitting a higher-level tank. If you're hitting a higher-level tank from uh, something two levels below, your rounds are almost certainly just bouncing off. But if you bought gold ammo, they can be surprised, and you punch right in. And that can be both addictive and annoying. Yeah, it's annoying. It's offensive to me because the idea that at a certain point in the game, to be competitive, you have to buy real money ammo. Like it seems like it's inevitable that you get to some point where somebody will say, "Okay, now if you want to be a player here, you got to spend money." I have this interesting thing about the game: it does not do battle logs. So when you get hit and you're damaged, you don't know that you were hit by somebody who spent dollars to do that. You just know that you took, you know, what tank hit you. And if you wanted to calculate that it was a three level lower than you and that's impossible, you might figure it out. But otherwise, it's, the game is too frenzied and you're not figuring that out. So really, you, it isn't in your face that you should be doing this. Yeah, well, no. And, and the way that the game culture sort of evolved to today, August 29th, uh, 2012, is, you know, it used to be when somebody, when a couple tanks that were, they were bought with real money came on, people were like, oh, you're, you know, wallet warrior, you're a jerk. And there sort of came to be this point where it's a knee-jerk reaction for like half of the players on in a game to go, listen, jackass, like it's this guy that's letting us play this game for free, so back off. And, and you know that was kind of interesting to see. But but now the new thing is when somebody gets an awesome shot on somebody, they go, well, it's just because you're using gold ammo, and there's no way to know. It's just sort of one of those accusations, like hacks, right. Essentially, yes, you're doing some network hack, and, and there's no way I'm not as good as you. And in many ways, of course, it doesn't make up for, for that much, but I will plead guilty to buying gold ammo. I looked at it, and for an average battle, I think I spent about 25 cents, which, since I come from the arcade generation of feeding quarters in for four-minute games, it doesn't, that doesn't feel unreasonable to me. Now, as we, we've pointed out in separate, separate conversations, that's cascaded on top of the fact that I'm paying for Premier or Premier. Yeah, a quarter game on top of 15 yeah, bucks a month starts right. to look a little silly. But, it you know, it's by silly. inches. Yeah, <laughs> but it is by inches. That's, one of the, that's the Smurfberries psychology. Yeah, and you, I, you know, I, I would... Looking 
this as pulling out your credit card for every time and seeing the dollar number. You're not pulling and handing out, putting in quarters. You're buy in bulk the gold coins, and even if you straightforwardly translate, translate it in your head, it still feels like funny money. Yeah, and that's something that they learned with the Xbox points and stuff. I also want to point out with World of Tanks, because I do hold it up as sort of the almost perfect incarnation of a free-to-play game. The tanks that you buy for 50 bucks, the best quality of them is their money-making ability. They may have one attribute that's better than many of the tanks in their class, but they're never the best tank. And that's an, that's an intentional design decision. The best tanks are always the ones that you earn. So they really attract money managers. <laughs> I guess. It's just one of those things where except for the gratuitous money sink that is gold ammo, I would call it a perfect free-to-play game. I want to back out of the whole free-to-play aspect of this just for a moment because we're, we're concentrating, because that's the subject of the conversation, on mechanics of free-to-play and how they leech money and how they'll give people unfair advantages and so forth. Those are all reasonable things to discuss. But I think it should be noted that at its base... World of Tanks is a well-crafted game with good game mechanics. It's a ridiculously fun game. And again, from how it's funded, if you paid $60 for this game, I think the graphics are probably a little primitive for that, but it's otherwise a really, really good game just to play. And nothing will make up for that if you have a crummy little farm game or whatever. If they otherwise don't find interesting game mechanics and so forth, people aren't going to keep doing it. Yeah, Interesting cow-clicking mechanics. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Maybe exceptions at the parody level. I don't know about you, but I still click the empty space where my cow used to be. <laughs> just just every once in a while, just for good luck, right? Yeah. So what's the difference between these free-to-play models and games like Guild Wars or Diablo 3 or you know other ones that have real money elements? Guild Wars did add the ability to sort of buy your way to, to higher levels or buy your way – buy packs of cards. Diablo 3 has the auction house. I'll also say DLC and stuff on consoles. It seems similar, except it's just not free to play. <laughs> well, but they're, they're also less ingrained. The, another game that I would hold up an example of this is Dungeon Defenders. Dungeon Defenders seems to me a, a bit more like League of, Le- League of Legends. You buy different, you can buy different character classes and things like that. But may, I guess there are also specific weapons and, and such that, that you may be able to buy and, and help your. One of the differences in what makes a game truly free to play is the fact that there's, there are these black hole money sinks where Guild Wars doesn't have that, at least as far as I know, and neither did Dungeon Defenders or these other things. You could, you could buy the Sword of Uberness, but you know they only have one or two of those. Right. I agree with that. That's probably also, in the case of Diablo 3, difficult to put it in as a black hole money sink. I almost feel that the auction house was something, especially the real money aspect of the auction house, was something almost tacked in as a an experiment and potentially a game-killing experiment, but it was an experiment that Blizzard was trying out to see if there was a, a second way to decently monetize the game. Yeah, but it's interesting there because in, in World of Warcraft, people pay money for things anyways, but it was outside of the rules and the... I, I guess the terms of service of the game. So well, that's, that's a, why it's better to have you know that stuff above board to, to some extent. Like I'd rather have 
a legitimate system where you can pay for levels than having sort of this black market that exists where people do it anyway? I suppose there's something that's actually, to me, very different. Well, there are two things pretty pretty darn different about that. One, when it's the the original game company getting in on the action, yes, you can say, okay, my heroine is going to be delivered with clean needles. I'm happy about that. But aside from that, you still get a sense of, my goodness, Philip Morris noticed that uh, drugs are legal, and they, they're going to bring all, all of their marketing expertise to bear on trying to get people to do this. That compared to the basement operations and, and such of uh, the uh, gold farmers. Tobolt's had an interesting article about this because I have to mention him every podcast we do. They talked about him getting back into World of Warcraft and trying to figure out you know, how to get through the content he's already been before with new characters and how to bootstrap his character up to where he needs to be at the level cap. He, he talked about you know, just the ups and downs of this. I thought it was an interesting discussion because while the point of the game is supposed to be you know, playing the game, if your goal is to be at the end game, there's sort of a lot of diminished returns with pleasure and enjoyment that go into the the grind all the way up to the level cap. Yes, and one of his more recent posts, may, may have been today's, discusses the fact that some people have already, apparently with Guild Wars 2, gotten to the level cap. He said, if they think that they're finally going to get to the great part of the game and have fun now after torturing themselves to get there, they're wrong. Well, the thing I loved about Guild Wars 1 is you could start a character at the level cap. When you bought the game, it said, okay, you want to do PvP? Here, you know, pick a level 20 pre-made. We'll give you the stuff you need and go and have fun. They, they sort of acknowledged, you know, I also really liked what they did with gear where it wasn't this grindy thing. They acknowledged that if you're here for that, just go and do it. If you're here for PvP, just go and play PvP. It does that too. allows for PvP. Yeah. But if you want to do the PvE game, you can still work your way through. And I think that's just fine. Mm-hmm. So the PvP player that you bought didn't transfer over to PvE, obviously. Well, you don't, you don't really buy it. You just get it. There's no point in doing PvE, I think, with that character. Mm-hmm. Because he's already there. <laughs> there, there are still other, you know, there are advantages to doing PVE, like getting rare skills and stuff. You sort of have to play through the game to get that stuff. Okay. So, Jim, where do you want to take this? I don't know. Well, you've you've uh, largely remained silent on the subject of free to play in in PC type games, at least. I've been afraid that my microphone's going to drop out and ruin the podcast. <laughs> My interest in the topic, a lot of it is analyzing, like, is this offensive that people do this? And how well is this mechanic built in such that you don't really notice it or sort of works well and it's the equivalent of playing the the game for a while? But it is like a recent development. Because people are making games like this doesn't mean that all games have to be made like this. (laughs) So it feels a little bit like an after-the-fact I don't know if, if it's justification, but like there is a, an alternative like mode of, of making games that I tend to value more, which is while not spurning money and still relying on money to to make your games and in your livelihood. Most of what you think about while making the game is is how how good the game is. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they don't have social engineers in the back room thinking about all this stuff. The important to note, I think, that games like Sam and Max and you know, these other venture games, they, you know, the models have been shifting over time where they've you know, moved to episodic content and you know, done, what, every month or every couple months releases of the different chapters. We've seen a lot of 
experimentation with different monetization models for games since we've gone all digital. Well, there's also, yes, it's not just all digital. It's the fact that the app store, the iPhone app store, crashed prices. Can you imagine a $60 mobile game? I think it started with going all digital, not, not having to deal with the realities of retail. And it is a nightmare if you haven't thought about it. Like getting a product in a box on a retail shelf is very, very difficult. And that's why publishers have a, have a role in the ecosystem. That, that was the first wave. And the second wave was you know, the app thing and realizing that, if, yeah, if I sell the 99 cent app, I'll sell a bajillion, gazillion of them. Yes. Even companies like, I guess, PopCap for PC would sell Bejeweled and so forth at, what, $15? Mm-hmm. And then you get you end up buying the exact same game on the iPhone for probably $6 initially, and I doubt it's been able to hold that. That is is a brutal market, and it drags down. Well, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know that that's – you really think that's the case, or do you think it's – I think there's an element also of just the audience that you can reach with an iPhone. With a 99-cent app, there are a lot of people, a lot more people that, than would buy that than would ever buy Bejeweled on a PC. That may be true, and it also may have radically lower piracy rates than the PC, which the, the company, the Ubisoft CEO, claimed that the latest Assassin's Creed on PC had a between a 93 and 95% piracy rate. From what they saw of the, of the games checking in. Wow, and you you know you reminded me of of an, a thing that we've sort of not mentioned. I don't know if we've considered it or not, but the difference between our twelve year old broke selves, let's say, looking at these free to play games and looking at this market versus us today, where there's a real threat that we could end up spending a lot of money and get into a lot of trouble. And I think that's <laughs> less of an issue as a kid. You just don't really have the option. As like adults approaching the game, there's like a dual anxiety that that you're you're worried that you might throw yourself off the cliff. <laughs> yeah, a lot of the polarized reactions against people spending money in these games comes from the twelve year olds. Like everything that gets said in these games. <laughs> <laughs> yes, somewhat. I do think that we are all shifting our expectations over time. You could save your pennies you know, and buy a premium tank, but that's as big a purchase as buying the game. We oh, have yeah. the, the people who are running around in $50 tanks are all people who have uh, good jobs. Well, no, no. Or, or like, or Timmy asked for a loaf for Christmas or something. I mean, it could happen. But you, you, just, you just don't have people like, oh, geez, I bought, you know, I spent $200 on stuff and I didn't, I didn't even uh, think about it. That kind Timmy, of thing. Timmy Romney, maybe, but very few Timmies are going to be after. <laughs> I, I mean, if so, the same kid that would get a $50 relatively brand new console title for an event could get a free-to-play grantable or something. I mean, it's conceivable. I, it is conceivable, again, but I think it's, that's for fairly wealthy families. Well, family, yeah, I think it's across the board. Otherwise, they, they pirate it. <laughs> but, Pirating and, is the ultimate free-to-play. Yeah. <laughs> and that, I, and that, that is a general culture that's, that's grown, starting from music and heading towards games. I... Confess, I was shocked by the 93% number, shocked to the point of being slightly skeptical that it was uh, well, self-justifying because Ubisoft <laughs> has some fairly horrible DRM. The, the dead trigger guys you know, famously made that statement about Android as, as to why they were going free-to-play, and then they sort of silently rolled out the same change to iOS. 
where I think it's highly unlikely they have the same the same issue. It's it's often used as a as a justification. But you know the one thing about these free to plays, right, is we've seen them all over iOS and Android. We've seen them on the PC. They have not penetrated into the console. Some of the psychology of it is is similar to again the trial games where where it's like oh you won an achievement but you can't get the achievement unless you buy the full version of the game it's it's funny how similar some of the again like call to actions or the tricks to get you to pay money but it sort of only happens at the the very beginning of the game and you know one of the games that we hold up you know as the as the gold standard often braid has exactly that the the game itself is actually different in some parts where you finish a world and the dinosaur comes out and and tells you oh you did pretty good but you you don't have a full version of the game so if you want to unlock it now you keep playing or you know sample a, a few more levels yeah if you want to see the rest of the level find out how the how how the cliff jump ends uh, that, that kind <laughs> so that's of an interesting i mean i i had forgot about that but interesting example of in in my mind, there's always this. I feel there's always this tension of the sort of commercial versus high art of things. Obviously, those things don't exist uh, in of themselves. There's a continuum, but it feels like it's two op- opposing uh, opposing forces. And the the idea that a game that in my mind embodies the the high aspect of it so much, I, I had blocked out. <laughs> that little bit of crassness in it is interesting. Like, a designer's got to make a buck, right? I mean, but I Shakespeare got to get paid. Exactly. Huh? I mean, do you, I would not be shocked if we did, if we never saw free to play on consoles. Do you guys think this is just an artifact or something and that, that the next generation if they ever come out and and thrive will have these elements or do you think that's I, something that's going to be isolated? I think it's an artifact of the iron control Sony and Microsoft wield over that, that ecosystem and that they are really reluctant to let it change. The, 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 the various uh, Microsoft Arcade and PlayStation Store on, online both allow for downloadable, less expensive games, but Microsoft does not want and Sony does not want the general perception of games pricing to be free. I, this may be spitting into the wind in terms of the way the world is go- is actually oh, that's, going. That's right. There have been these controversial really, issues where, where people couldn't release free updates because Sony or Microsoft wouldn't allow it. Right. So, or or I mean, it, it costs them $10,000 to do it. That's the... I mean, I think the startup cost really goes into that too, because there was the example with with Fez where there was like a game breaking bug, which was caught and fixed, and Microsoft said, "Okay, you can patch this, but you've already patched once, so every patch after this will be ten thousand dollars." <laughs> part of that, I have to say, I'm sympathetic to the fact that they've got a resource intensive process and they got to turn a buck, and part of it's just outrageous, you know. I, I actually think it would be perfectly reasonable for them to have an area of their stores be much more Wild West and allow for free games that get updated as but, but fast you, But you as talk about like this being a control issue, and Apple, you know, who's a company that's famous for keeping an a iron fist on their store, lets these games run wild all over the place. It, that's pretty erratic in terms of they certainly are uh, the, the games can usually do pretty much anything 
but uh, and it's all in app purchases. You also may be blocked from the next update and not know why. They they definitely have iron control. It just happens to have different sensitivities. It isn't so much about how much money is coming in. Apple is the only thing they are motivated to buy are if somebody is making money through this app. We want thirty percent. So you think that you, you really think this is an HBO thing? You think that the amount of money that the marquee or the you know the, the concept of the sixty dollar title brings in drowns out any upside from this free to play nonsense? I guess I guess that could be a logical conclusion. Take a look that these at take make. a look yeah. at you know Sony managed to lose the entire music player market because they couldn't allow themselves to let. Walkmans play MP3 files, and you had to convert everything to something that had DRM on it. Right now, they have the next generation PSP, the Vita, and it can't play all of the old games that you bought on their store from, from PSP, and they're busy trying to slowly enable your previous purchases to work again on your brand new, awesome, expensive hardware. They don't have a lot of sensitivity to the end user here. They had completely bought into the razor and blades model. They basically figure we subsidized that razor, that console, to the point that we must. It is our God-given right to make obscene profits out of every game that gets played on. <laughs> well, it's also, I mean, it's, it's interesting. It's clear that Apple wants to be the Visa or the credit card company, right, where they just want you to make more transactions because they make money <laughs> whenever you get the transactions. I wonder how much the, the competition that that PlayStation versus Xbox has in, in the, the console market versus the – there's a minor amount of competition, but there's not really that much competition between Android games and, and iOS games. I guess part of it I wonder as – better games come out that are based on free-to-play models? Are they missing out as that happens? The other thing is, you know, there is those stupid Smurfberry stories that go into the news, and maybe part of that's just they just don't want to bring that kind of headache down on their house. I think if you looked at Apple's motivations versus, say, Google's for Androids and Microsoft's or Sony's for Xbox and PlayStation, Apple would say, we make almost all our money selling that iPhone. And we sold that iPhone for $600. You just didn't happen to see that cost. So that's great, and we want to keep doing that. And Google would say, we don't make anything, that phone. We're actually happy to have all the games be forced to be free to play because one of the things people use is advertising, and we run that network. And in the same way Apple gets its 30% of any revenues that run through the App Store, although that's not a big deal to them, for us, we get an, an indeterminate amount of, of the money that comes from the advertising network, and that's all of our revenue. We actually want people to have advertising in games rather than you buying them. That's the, the sort of free-to-play games that I am actually have played more of, which is the, the free games that are super annoyingly ad-supported on, on Android. <laughs> Yeah, but like, I mean, it, it doesn't really. I mean, it's an it's an I guess important kind of backdrop of what people's motivations are. But then you go to both of those companies are, are supporting free to play type games. PCs are supporting it because there's no control. And then uh, Sony and Microsoft are silent on this. 
again, Sony and Microsoft are fighting the last war. Yeah. But man, the next Crisis game looks really good. <laughs> Crytek CEO says PS4, Xbox 720 will struggle without free-to-play. It's, it's in the news. Yeah. I would guess it will be forced on them if they support it. Yeah. I feel like it's sort of a failure that none of us know that much about how the free-to-play for Team Fortress works, but we'll look into that. First, I need to learn how to play Team Fortress. Yeah. Anything else you want to cover, guys? I'll throw this out, and it's probably too controversial or maybe, yeah, uh, to bring up as a a, a quickie. I wonder how people's reactions to the whales, to people buying the expensive tanks or, or whatever, is that or how much is it? related to effectively the sort of class envy or the aspect of wanting to key somebody's Mercedes and, and so forth. Just, I, I don't like the fact that you're you're doing that. You're rubbing my face in your wealth. Because that, that gets to the, when you think about aspects of fairness is, you know, maybe one of the reasons why you you go to games is is this idea that you want it to be a competitive medium in which you you get rewarded for your efforts, just in the same way that you could pull yourself up by your bootstraps, and if you work hard, you'll be successful and and make money. And in the same way that you know the world doesn't actually work like that, and it uh, it is uh, disillusioning when you find that out about the world. <laughs> Finding that out about games is is equally disillusioning. Don't want to actually take this too much into to this, but I would say in terms of games in general. I don't have any illusion that if I got into a basketball game with anybody competent and much younger that I would be able to do more than just stand there and wonder why the ball kept going over my head. And similarly, if I got into any FPS game with a competent 14-year-old, I would be just a target for headshots over and over and over. It would be nothing but frustrating to me and, and so forth. I don't know whether it is reasonable for me to then spend money to buy head armor or something like that to try to equal uh, anti anti headshot cream yeah I think, that's, that's I fantastic think it, i think it's it's probably more reasonable for me to simply say understand your limitations and don't get out on a basketball court <laughs> understand your limitations and don't try to play that kind of game which you you no longer have reflexes for that's one possible thing but on the other hand that's kind of sad too well, i want to jump on this and say that there's a bigger trend here, which is, I think when games first came out, right, only the affluent had consoles. And then it sort of went pretty mass market, and a lot of people had consoles, but they were largely for, for younger players, right? And then now we're at a phase where all these gamers have matured, and it, it is a different demographic market for, for gamers, I don't think your premise is that great. I don't think the getting back to the Atari 2600 days that it was only for the affluent. It wasn't cheap. Uh, well, I, I don't, I'll, I'll yield at the beginning. I'm just saying a large, you know, for a long time, games were sort of thought of as something for kids. Yes, kids would manage to convince their parents to get them an Xbox or a PS1 uh, and then on to a PS2. And then the dads would get in there and get mad and... And, uh, well, I, I think of it more as, you know, the kids got old. Well, I mean, it's just, the, like, 
there, there's there's less of a uh, perhaps less of a bifurcation of of the audience where the dad would play Madden or my dad would play the Final Final Fantasy games. He wouldn't play with us, but you know we would play at separate times. Whereas maybe part of the attraction of these free to play games is this idea that there are these game playing devices in which you have such a, a demographic spread of people who own the devices that this sort of model becomes attractive to to try to get a larger like portion of that that spread. Well, also, I think uh, lots of dads I know in my generation try to use games deliberately as ways to continue to, to interact and connect with their, their kids. That if their kids happen to like to play Madden, and the dad does, they may be playing at different skill levels and, and so forth, but they're at least both motivated by the same thing. It brings them together in a way they're otherwise not not likely to. Well, and EA released that mode with a game that's like... Dad mode? <laughs> dad mode, yeah, which was, okay, well, all you have to do is hit the button at the right time, and they'll, and they'll pass. And then the other player has to, like, swing the controllers and do all kinds of other stuff. <laughs> Your, your game is basically a God of War, like, press the button, you know, and, and you rip off the head of a, a deity. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. There's something about me that, that is is the idealist that makes me really crave for, for games that have pure intentions, even though I don't think I can ever find that. Or I, I find it three times in ten years. Or you can find it in single-player games, period. If you are playing with other people online and they can see you with your golden unicorn, the, the only reason they bought the golden unicorn was to show it off, just like their Mercedes. And, and if they're flying overhead and you hate it or you're jealous of them for it and so forth, but you do think it's kind of pretty, that's great that you set up that, that envy thing. If you bought it, and this goes back to the if it, if it isn't, doesn't happen in an online game so my friends can see it didn't happen, uh, psychology of uh, MMOs. But if you, if you strictly play single player, if Diablo 3 played and you never played with your friends – and so forth. Who would really care about bothering to to do that? Yes, you'd play because the clicking and people would care, but a lot fewer people would care. A lot fewer people would. There's, I can't believe that they would spend money to push themselves through faster or further. Yeah. Isn't this what you're paying to do? Now Le- you- <laughs> levels levels don't really levels don't really apply to me anymore. Right. Now, I would I would say I mean every and we've brought up things like buying expansion packs and so forth. I don't think that sort of thing is it really belongs in the free to play kind of money milking aspect of things. I think of expansion packs as you bought this first book in a series and I don't have an entire extra book ready for you yet. Here's a novella. Days, what about Day 0 DLC? <laughs> that's an ass. That's sort of a you know you bought your for uh, for eighteen dollars and it's and you got your six hundred or eight hundred pages. I have another three hundred pages. I don't want to give it to you for the same price, and I can't make you pay. It. And the, the the standard price is I'm not going to get that. So trying to to stick with the book metaphor, you you don't deserve those those extra pages for for the stock. For the stock price, that may or may not actually be valid. In other words, you you may or may not have gotten enough for your money in the original game. 
but I think usually that that you have. So, for example, the the games that have pretty quickly had DLC, you you could name things like the Bethesda games, Skyrim, and I bought Day Zero DLC, which I kind of regret, but I did it for um, Amalur because I'm like, screw it, I don't want to, you know, I, I want to get some good stuff, you know, I'm, I I want to play this game, but I don't have time for this, you know. Well, what's what's interesting? That, I mean, DLC is. A related topic, but but maybe in another topic. But it it is like for these like single player games that <laughs> that I love so much that have the you know purity of int- intentions and experience. There's still the aspect where you can buy a T-shirt for your avatar. So getting in some of the social aspects, but it seems less offensive because it's not actually in the game, though though it is like surrounded by the game. <laughs> well, people people tend not to care about cosmetic advantages in the game because it's just a thing yeah and the- if you want to pay if you want to pay extra money to make uh, link look like Mario instead like go for it knock yourself out yeah <laughs> yeah don't see that taking off amongst uh, single player uh, games it could happen but I admit I mean part of it is me not wanting the the sanctity of the the experience sort of marred by this uh, attention being brought to the uh, the commercial aspect, and I'm sort of okay if it's all the same all all the same uh, motivations leading to making these egregiously priced downloadable content, you know, most pointless things that that you could get if it's outside of the the artistic circle of of the game. Uh, to wax poetic a little bit, it doesn't bother me as much. Yeah, I guess there's art and then there's commercial. I mean, we can. This is a rat hole, but you know, movies have this problem, books have this problem. Anytime big publishers and stuff get in, there's a credible argument, right, that the auction house and Diablo only exists because of Activision, right? Where if Blizzard was only only Blizzard, it never would have happened. Yeah, but then again, if you look at a company like Steam, Valve. And uh, you know they're, they they always get ahead of these things with, with Team Fortress stuff like that. When is that damn next episode coming out, though? Speaking of episodic content, yeah, whenever their chaotic management system drives actually generates it, I don't. It, so you it, just work on whatever you want today. You know, just come up with an idea. How about your your fucking idea is to come up with the next, next episode of Half-Life? Wheel those desks over. <laughs> all over to the Half-Life group. It's, assuming there is even is a Half-Life group at Valve right now. I just say that because I'm jealous. I think I'm jealous. On the other hand, it really could be a, a, a completely scary feeling. <laughs> Art, entertainment, commercialism. Yeah, I know. You just got to keep flogging on that. Someday someday I'll get it. <laughs> I want all my games to be like Super Meat Boy made by two desperately poor people trying to make a really good game who are surprised by how much money it makes them. Yeah, I only, I only, I only drink pure natural spring water. I was going to say, and they must stay poor. J.K. Rowling must, must stay Wallace. writing <laughs> yeah. that coffee shop. The moment she becomes the richest woman in Britain, then she's no longer pure and... I want them to get rich to be rewarded, but then not sell out. That's the. Uh, but once they're rewarded, they may not spend the money on anything that will push our <laughs> into it. 
Super Meat Boy, as an example, I mean, they, it seems like they released in so, some controversial statements where they're basically like, no, there is not going to be a Super Meat Boy 2 because that would be, you know, bullshit it. cashing in on, like, we made this game perfect and there's nothing, there, there's nothing else that we wanted to do with it. So look out for our next project, but we're not going to capitalize on this. We're going to play Freebird. Oh, yeah. Do more of your greatest hits. Well, we still need to play Journey, Tom. Yeah, well, the the Journey uh, Collector's Edition is out now, so you you can. Uh, I am so glad I waited. <laughs> you can pay however much to to get physical disc, all uh, all three major games and some mini games. Maybe it has it has Flow and and Flower too. Yeah, I just this is showed up in my Facebook news feed today. There's a uh, a 20 minute giant bomb review of it. <laughs> if you want to watch that. What what are collector's editions? Two hundred eighty gram vinyl double LP version of the the thing that you have a CD for, but going after the whales, right? Well, that that's the box for Skyrim. They have at Best Buy. That's the size of a um, what's something that's big? Yeah, they're, they're giant. They're giant. They're they're like the size of a visual. Well, they're bigger than a Visual Studio box. They're they're just these massive boxes, and they have a figurine inside, and they have a hand-drawn maps, you know, made from the tears of the designer's children and all that stuff. I mean, it's there's a lot of, there's a lot of crap. A book and a DVD and an art. I mean, you've seen a these things. Right? Yeah, I do these things. Yeah, well, I haven't seen the Skyrim thing, but I but I can I can imagine it from all the other ones I've <laughs> engaged with. <laughs> Downward Spiral, special box edition. <laughs> Pong, the deluxe box set. <laughs> Pong 3D. I think we're done. <laughs> that definitely is a down note to end on. <laughs> well, thanks, guys. we got to figure out what we're going to talk about next time. Yep. Yeah. All right. All right. Have a good night, guys. See you guys at PAX, right? right? Yeah. It's, it's, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs>